In our gospel passage this morning, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. What an astonishing statement. Astonishing, first of all, because Jesus is saying that this, this right here, this is his mission and ministry. What is Jesus all about? You want the answer in a nutshell? Here it is in John 10.10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And astonishing as, as well, because Jesus doesn't mention sin or forgiveness or blotting out our failures or reconciling us with the judgmental God. Jesus says, I came to give life. In contrast to all that would rob us of life, the wolves or the thieves and bandits he mentions a few verses earlier, Jesus comes to give not just life, but life in abundance. Not just survival, but flourishing. Not just getting by, but thriving. Not just existence, but joy and freedom. Freedom from whatever would keep us from living abundantly. Abundance is a tricky word, though, especially with the Joel Austins of the world preaching what's come to be known as the prosperity gospel. One of my favorite authors, Wendell Berry, has thought deeply about this word abundantly as it's used in this passage. Wendell Berry writes, to talk about or desire more abundance of anything has probably always been dangerous, but it seems particularly dangerous now. In an age of materialist science, economics, art, and politics, we ought not to be much shocked by the appearance of materialist religion. We know we don't have to look far to find people who equate more abundant life with a bigger car, a bigger house, a bigger bank account, and a bigger church. They are wrong, of course, writes Barry. If Jesus meant only that we should have more possessions or even more life expectancy, then John 10.10 is no more remarkable than any of the endless stream of advertisements with which we're bombarded. Barry says abundance in this verse can't mean an abundance of stuff because life doesn't require an abundance of stuff. It requires only enough. And if we have enough, then life itself, membership in the living world, is already an abundance. But so much tells us that enough isn't enough, doesn't it? Besides all the commercials we're exposed to, there's reality TV, our celebrity culture, fashion, movies, on and on, and they all tell us that we need to buy more so that we can be more. That's how our economy works. You aren't enough, just you on your own. Buy this and you will be. Oh, wait, you're still not enough, so now buy this. The thing is, no matter how much we buy, it doesn't work. It doesn't fill the hole. It does, however, help destroy the planet, keep certain populations in poverty, convince us that we're individuals in the market rather than persons in community, cause us to work too much, drive us into debt, and generally wear us out, which is not abundant life at all, is it? 
being a consumer can consume us. An American businessman took a quick vacation in a coastal village in Mexico. He went down to the pier to buy fresh fish. A small boat pulled up next to the pier, and inside the boat were a weathered fisherman and several large yellowfin tuna. The businessman complimented the man on the quality of his fish. He asked how long it took him to catch them, and the man replied, just a little while. The businessman asked why he didn't stay out longer to catch more fish. I have enough to support my family's needs, said the fisherman. What do you do with the rest of your time, the businessman asked. The fisherman answered, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take siestas with my wife Maria, write a little poetry, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play the guitar with my friends. I have a full and busy life. You should spend more time fishing, said the businessman. You could make more money. You would buy a bigger boat. With the profit from the fish, you could fit into a bigger boat. You could buy several boats. Eventually, you'd have a fleet of boats, and you could even open your own cannery. Then you could leave this little village and move to Mexico City, where you'd make more connections and expand your enterprise. The fisherman asked, how long would this all take? The businessman calculated, you could do it in 15 or 20 years. Then what, asked the fisherman. The businessman beamed. That's the best part. When the time is right, you'll announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public, and you'd be very rich. You'd make millions. Millions, marveled the fisherman. Then what? The businessman smiled. Then you could retire, move to a small coastal village where you could sleep late, <laughs> fish a little, play with your grandchildren, take siestas with your wife, write poetry, and stroll to the village in the evenings where you'll sip wine and play guitar with your friends. When Jesus uses the word abundantly, he is not proposing to free us by making us richer. He's proposing to set life free from precisely that sort of mistake, the same mistake the American businessman makes in the story. However, the word life is no less tricky at least for some. When Jesus says he comes that we might have life, does he mean life now or life after death or some sort of spiritual life? Although there are many who would prefer to keep Jesus in some kind of spiritual or religious or otherworldly realm, the Gospels just don't support that. The Gospels are overwhelmingly concerned with the conduct of real human life in the real human community. In the Sermon on the Mount and other places, Jesus is asking his followers to see that the way to more abundant life is the way of love. We are to love one another. We aren't to limit our love to family, tribe, or nation. We are to love our neighbors even when they're strangers to us. Even more radical, we're to love our enemies. The love to which Jesus calls us isn't a feeling, it's a practice. It's to be practiced here and now. This kind of love is indistinguishable, writes Wendell Berry, from the willingness to help, to be useful to one another. What does this kind of love have to do with abundant life, you ask? Imagine if we were free of hatred, free of enemies, 
free of our world's endless and hopeless efforts to answer violence with more violence. Wouldn't that look like more abundant life? This passage about abundant life comes right after the healing of the man born blind. Healing is one very concrete practice of love, and for the man born blind, abundant life is sight. It's freedom and light and opportunity. This tells us a couple of things about abundant life. First, it invites us to imagine that abundant life is contextual. For the blind man, it is sight. For the single parent, it might be companionship and help. For the bullied teen, it might be acceptance and an advocate. For the impoverished neighborhood, it might be dignity and the chance of self-determination. For the retiree, it might be involvement in a worthwhile cause. You get the picture. Abundant life looks different for different people in different places, but it is always a response to whatever seeks to rob the children of God of their inheritance of life and purpose and joy. But if abundant life is contextual for each of us, it is nevertheless intended for every one of us. It's not about me and my abundance. Because it is grounded in love, because it is about God's love for God's world, it is a relationship. Abundant life is a relationship. When we as Christians recite Psalm 23, saying, the Lord is my shepherd, we are confessing to that relationship, first of all, with God, but also with everything and everyone that God loves. Barbara Brown Taylor tells a story about a friend who was visiting his friend from California. They met at the airport, and as they were getting into the car to leave, her friend opened his door so wide that it whacked the side-view mirror of a red sports car parked next to it. There was no harm done, but the operator of the sports car happened to be sitting inside of it at the time, and when he heard the whack, he exploded out the driver's side door. What the hell are you think you're doing, he yelled at Taylor's surprised friend, at which point his friend jumped out of his car and said, don't you talk to him like that. It was an accident for crying out loud, and you can see for yourself nothing's broken. I'm not talking to you, Buster. I'm talking to him, the man said furiously. Yeah, well, when you're talking to him, you're talking to me, Taylor's friend's friend said, and the man backed down. Now, this is not an endorsement for brawls in airport parking lots. And I'm aware of the tricky aspects of boundaries and codependence and rescuing people. But this affirmation, when you're talking to him, you're talking to me, is one of the simplest and most practical expressions I've heard of the truth that because we belong to God, we are connected. What affects one affects all. What, when parts flourish, the whole flourishes. This is agape the self-giving love, the kind of love that the Good Shepherd practices and teaches. When you're talking to him, you're talking to me. When you're underpaying him, you're underpaying me. When you're exploiting her, you're exploiting me. When you're depriving him of dignity, you're depriving me of dignity. When you're destroying her environment, 
you're destroying my environment. The Lord is our shepherd. If we are to live that truth, it means we'll be led down paths. Sometimes the right paths lead us away from the places where we're most comfortable. As Jesus reminds us in this John passage, there are times when goodness comes at a cost. Those right paths might lead us to dine with enemies. They might lead us to speak up for the voiceless. They might lead us to trust God rather than stuff. They might even lead us to practice the economics of love rather than the economics of extinction and exploitation. And I don't pretend that's easy to do or even easy to figure out, and I'm certain we wouldn't all agree on what that looks like. But our confusion and our disagreement don't get us off the hook, because when Jesus offers us abundant life, it's an invitation to us to become conscious, consenting, and responsible participants in the one great abundant life. As his followers, God is at work in us to continue the work of the Good Shepherd. Do for them as I did for you, Jesus told his disciples. The promise is abundant life. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.